Does cybersecurity seem like a terrifying topic? Well, have no fear. This episode is sponsored by Roundtable Technology, the nonprofit IT partner. And for the seventh year in a row, they're offering a free webinar to teach you and your staff exactly the steps to make your IT more secure in the new year. Roundtable Technology is a managed IT and cybersecurity services organization focusing almost exclusively on the nonprofit sector with over 200 nonprofit clients. So make it your New Year's resolution to get your entire staff free cybersecurity awareness training. Head on over to nonprofitit.com forward slash best dash ever to save your seat now. And here's to a wonderful 2023. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. And I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. I'm so excited to be here today with you wherever you're listening. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. And today I have a special guest. My guest is Ishe Hess, the founder and executive director of Black Girl Collective. Black Girl Collective is a Vancouver-based nonprofit that connects Black women in British Columbia through mentorship and events aimed at fostering community. Nigerian born and raised, Ishe is an experienced curator, I love that, with a BA in communications from Simon Fraser University. She's an avid believer of walking my talk and believes in uplifting everyone around her. Ishe also believes that Black women are unmatched and is passionate about building a community that is inclusive, impactful, and long-lasting for Black women in Canada. So this nonprofit is building its Black Futures program that will provide Black girls with mentorship and financial literacy. And she also recently founded the Tosan Combra Foundation, a nonprofit. Bring, I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I'll let you talk about that. A nonprofit bridging the socioeconomic gap for underprivileged girls and children in Nigeria. Oh my gosh, I'm not even time to sleep. So really welcome, Ishe, to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to finally make this happen. Yes. So tell me about the journey to create the Black Girl Collaborative, and then you can talk about your other nonprofit as well. Yeah, for sure. So Black Girl Collective, I set up Black Girl Collective in 2020. On the whim, I was just sitting on my couch, you know, just going through Instagram and just seeing all the communities that Black girls in the UK had and Black girls in the state had. And I noticed that there was just none here. Like that's something I'd noticed before, but just, you know, it was just right in my face. And I just decided to start my Instagram page and it 
grew up to be bigger than expected. I just started it that summer to just, you know, connect black girls and showcase the black girls in Vancouver. And that was also the peak of COVID with Black Lives Matter. And we just recently had graduations, but there were, you know, there were other people that graduated that could not walk the stage. So I decided to create like just a small graduation package for them and, and deliver it to them in their houses. And that was how Blagger Collective was started. You know, they felt so good that even though they could not walk the stage, they still had the, you know, little celebration. We celebrated them on the page and, you know, we gave them like, you know, a little bit of gift. And that was, yeah, the beginning of Blagger Collective. I love that. So started on Instagram. What was it like starting a nonprofit in the middle of the pandemic or at the start of the pandemic? Honestly, it was, it was a little bit scary, but I just went for it. I did not think about, oh, was this scary? Was this the pandemic? I just know that we needed a community and what we needed in Vancouver was beyond the pandemic. This was something that, you know, we had been struggling with for a long time. I've been in Vancouver for eight years now. And, you know, I went to university here. I came as an international student. And one thing I noticed where there was just not a lot of black people here. There was no black community. Me coming from Nigeria, I grew up in a small town called Worry, where it was such a community. I could literally go out and somebody would call my mom and say, oh, I saw Ishe outside. And coming here, this street was so different where it's everybody was such an individual. There was no community. You know, I finished university and I tried to get a mentor. Just I wanted like a black woman that understood my experience as an international student that could just help me navigate the work, the working place. But it was just so difficult. I literally could not find anybody. And yeah, that was just why I started it. And we did that. People requested for some event. We held our first event that August, which was pretty interesting, but it was sold out because we did it outdoors. We made sure to listen to all the COVID protocol and just little by little we incorporated. And yeah, we are now two years in. So when I was doing some research on the Black Girl Collective I saw that you have clearly stated three pillars. And I think actually that many nonprofits need to do this because through the three pillars, it seems that you really have a very clear sense of what the organization stands for. And I do want to start off with events. So the pillar of Black Joy involves in-person events. And I know that you have a history of an event as an event planner. And this nonprofit has put on over 10 sold out events throughout the pandemic. So how did you navigate that? And sort of what advice do you have for others that are trying to hold successful events, but maybe struggling? I'll say first things first, I am an avid planner. I love to plan right now. I have all my events till next year, December scheduled. That is out. Oh, see, planning ahead. Tip one, I'm writing it down. Yeah, planning. I always plan my events I aid. And what I do is I always write an event proposal. What is the purpose of this event? What are the risks associated with this event? You know, what does my team have to do? Do we have do we need an external party? Just that proposal itself gives you all the details that you need, you know, how much you're going to apply for in grant. You know, if you need external partners, what location are you looking at? How many people, you know, with the COVID protocol. So that really just gives me a clear sense of what I'm going to do 
for that event. So after the event proposal, that's when the big work comes in. So the event proposal could be maybe three to five pages. I like mine very comprehensive because it's just for me and the team. Out of that, I make my sponsorship deck. So out of the event proposal, I create a sponsorship deck that it's not too much because sponsors don't want to read a lot of notes. They just want to know what the point is. So just make it very short and concise. But, you know, I also make it very colorful because color attracts people and I like color personally. (laughs) So I always make things very colorful. Just make sure people want to read it. You know, I always attach pictures from previous events, but before we add our event, I used to go on Pinterest and look what is kind of events I'm going for. You know, what's the theme of the event? What am I looking for? Then I take pictures of that and add it to my proposal so they could see exactly what I'm going for. So that's how we do it. Then starts the marketing. So what we do with marketing is when we, obviously we post on social media and everything, we actually get in the community and ask our community members to share it for us on their social medias. And we always tell them we're always happy to do the same because, you know, you have to be part of the community and be involved in the community. So we always ask our community members, please help us share this event. But the big thing is everything that goes on behind the scenes. So talking to the sponsors, which you also have to be very clear with what you want with sponsors. I know as nonprofits, we can be so shy to ask for money because we're like, oh my God, I don't want to ask $10,000 might be too much, you know. But the thing is, we don't make money. We are not a for-profit business. So that's something somebody told me. She said, you're a non-for-profit, you literally survive of the sponsorship that you get. And businesses understand that. They understand that you're not making money, so they are willing to give. You just have to know exactly what you want. And don't leave it open-ended. Don't ask the company, oh, what can you offer me? What can you know? Do your research on the company. Know exactly what they do. Know exactly what you want from them before approaching them and I send out, if I'm looking at venues, I know exactly what kind of venues I want for a particular event. I look at five different type of five venues and I send email to each one of them. And one of them always replies. So you cannot just send to one and say, okay, that's okay. No, you have to send to multiple. If you need decorators, send to 10 decorators. If you need sponsors for liquor, send to 10, 10 liquor businesses around you. Because the more you send, the more probability is that you would get somebody to reply you back. So that's where the planning goes. So what I do is I like to reach out to companies three to six months in advance so they can put me in their next fiscal year. Because if you reach out to them a month or two months before your event, the probability they will tell you, oh, we've exhausted our budget for this month or for this quarter is really high. You want to avoid that and you want to put them in their radar. And companies also love when they see your planning. Also, they love nonprofits that plan. And as nonprofits, sometimes we forget that it also has to be beneficial for both parties, which is something I make clear to anybody that I work with. I want this to be beneficial for both of us. You know, what is involved for you? Tell me exactly what you want. I always am very transparent because I don't want them to be any, you know, misunderstanding along the way. I am always transparent. And then for like my host, for volunteers, I dip into my community who has these qualities, who can take photographs for me, who can do videographer for me. You know, I always tap the resources in my community. 
And, you know, starting, we had a lot of people do things for us for free because a lot of people do want to be involved with your nonprofit. They do want to give back to your nonprofit. So when somebody does an event for me for free, when I get a grant or a donation, I can afford to pay those people. We go back to them because that's how you build relationship. And that's how you get someone to stay and say, okay, I don't have a enough budget for this event, will you be able to? Yes, they'll be willing to do that because they've seen that when you do have the capacity, you've come back to them and, you know, you've paid them. So all those little things matter. And when you have like an event, it matters a lot. I also try to like make my partners feel that I'm supporting them. Even if we don't have an event and I see my partners, there, you know, doing something, I'll send it, promote it to my audience. But what I'm also going to say is I'm also very, very particular with companies that I partner with. I do my research strongly. I don't just partner with anybody that approach me. I have to do my research. What I, is the news saying about you? What are the presses surrounding you? Because I know the community that I'm trying to create and I don't want to be another token black organization that you're just doing the work here. I like organizations that want to get involved. They just don't want to donate, but they want to, you know, they want their employees to volunteer and be part of the progress that we are making. So that's what I do for my organization. You have to find what works for your organization, what values align best with your organization and what companies align with those organizations. And also depending on the type of events you're doing, when we do our black or brunch, I approach like, you know, liquor companies, I approach the Vancouver Art Gallery because that's what we wanted. We needed liquor, we needed food, that kind of companies. But if we're doing game nights, I approach like the local game stores. So just depending on the game, the event you're hosting, you have to cater it to the sponsors. Because as a sponsor, if I have a liquor business, I have no business sponsoring anything that has absolutely nothing to do with liquor. It's just better that way. Tailor your events that way. Do you do any virtual events or hybrid events? Everything's in person. We did a couple of virtual events during COVID. We did like um, filling yourself workshop series, which is just helping our community get there, you know, their mental mind and everything together, their mental and emotional states together. Um, we don't do a lot of virtual events because we're trying to create that community. And that's what's missing here for us in Vancouver. It's the in-person community aspect that's missing. So that's what we're trying to rectify. But we do do our financial leadership program is both in person and online. Wow. And I know that the BGC focuses on giving talks and offering workshops to younger Black girls to teach them their future potentials on your website, you know, and that possibilities are limitless. So I know you also run a free mentorship program that pairs Black women mentees with mentors who can give them guidance, share their expertise and resources to help them thrive. Is this in Vancouver? So we obviously, we just started, so we're starting with Vancouver, but the ultimate goal is for BGC to be, you know, worldwide. What we, um, what we do is we do asset mentors. So our mentorship program is professional and personal mentorship. So anybody can be a part of our professional mentors because we cannot do it. No, we need allies to help us get to the next stage. And most of the time, the people in the higher up are allies. They're not black people. They're not black women or black men. So we need allies that are willing to help us 
get to the next stage. So that's why our professional mentorship is set up like that. And that can be virtual. That can be, so anybody anywhere can sign up to be a professional mentor in that sense. So yeah, they get paired with a black woman and our professional mentorship, they meet up with our mentees compulsory once a month for at least an hour, which is not too much in my opinion. So that's our professional mentorship. Then our personal mentorship, that's specifically for black women to black women. Because when someone needs a personal mentor, they are struggling with different things than a professional mentorship. And as a black woman, you need somebody that really understands your experience when it comes to personal mentorship. So that's why we pay black women with only Black women for personal mentorship. So what makes a successful mentorship, both what makes a successful professional mentorship? Like if we want, if we wanted to be a mentor, we're a mentee. And then what would make sort of a successful pairing for a personal mentorship? So it's a process. We do have a sign up process where we ask a couple of questions on our website. So after you sign up for the mentorship, we'll have to do like a background check because that's just required in Canada. You have to do a criminal background check for anybody that does want to be a mentor, professional or personal through a program. So we do the background check. And based on the questions that you answer as a mentor and a mentee, we use that to pair you where the a mentee, a mentee that most aligns will be paired together. And we do have the opportunity after two weeks, if you feel like after two months of the mentorship and you feel like this is not going well with me, I want to change my mentor or the mentor says, you know, I don't really, I'm not going well with this mentee. We can always switch a mentor or the mentee based on availability at that time. If there's no availability, but you don't want to continue that program, that mentorship partnership, that's totally fine. You just have to wait till a mentor becomes available. What I think is so great about both of the the pillars about like the in-person events, the mentorship program is that unlike, I think a lot of nonprofits, this came from the community. This came from, you know, your personal experience and things that other women had said to you that were so needed. So what advice do you have for people that want to start a nonprofit, but they're not sure if there's going to be community buy-in, how could you, what advice would you give to people to really go out and explore and see if, if there is a community need for this particular nonprofit? I'll say go out to events, go out to like community events and talk to people in the community that you want to start something. What I did is I started my nonprofit because I noticed that this was my personal experience. My friends around me had said the same thing. And also black girls who I knew who grew up here, they all said the same thing. They, we all had similar experiences. And what we continue to do is we continue to ask our community via our Instagram story. We have an open email policy. We have an open DM policy where you can always reach out to us, what type of events you want to see, what type of programs you want to see. That's the best way to make sure that the community are involved because you're doing something that they actually want to see and they actually want to be part of. But if you just start, you know, without doing your research, it's going to be hard because there's not a need that you're feeling right now. So you need to see what is the need in my community, what's missing in this community, where am I, what it's missing. What can I do to fill in that gap? And once you do that, you see, you'll be surprised at how much people want to be involved. How much, you know, people will just reach out to you. I want to be part of your community. How can I help? I want to volunteer. That's the best way to go about it. Listening to your community always. 
I love that. I think that's what's lacking in a lot of the sector is that connection to the the community or even just understanding what the needs are. Because even if you did respond to the needs of the community 10, 20 years ago, the look and feel of the needs might be very different. The look and feel of the produce might be different now, as we know, when the world turned upside down a couple of years ago. Yeah, because even the needs of my community when I started two years ago, I've shifted right now. You'll see that shift in our events, which we're going to be training in the following year because our community has told us we want to be more involved. Like our events are exclusively for Black women. Last year, we had our first community engagement event where we invited Black men to come share in our joy. And a couple of our community members reached out to us and said, you know, I have a white spouse. I have a spouse that's not Black. I would like them to come and engage in this safe space and see me in my, you know, in my safe space with my community. So we're listening to our community. And in the next year, we're going to be having more community engagement event where not just only Black men can attend, but also allies can attend because our community has told us that this is where we are now. This is what we want. And we, you just have to listen to your community. And that brings me to the third pillar of the BGC. And that, that is community engagement, which is such an important pillar. And on the website, it says that includes providing resources, volunteering, and facilitating book clubs centering Black women authors. And I recently read that you've doubled the size of your book club. Can you tell us how you did that? I just know people are always looking for more engagement, more members, more participation. So maybe you can give us some tips on how to do that. Our book club was actually started by our awesome book club facilitator, Praise. She's currently studying abroad in Spain. Um, she's someone that is very passionate about reading. My team, what, what I do with my team is I make sure like everybody is passionate about their role. I want you to, you know, do something that you enjoy doing also. So that's why. So when Praise started the book club, it was just like something she just said, Oh, I'm just going to do a book club for the black girls in Vancouver because she noticed that every time she wants to like read, she reads a lot of black authors book, but there was just no space to talk about the book club with people that understood our experience. Cause when she talked about it with different people that are not from our black community, they don't really understand what she's saying. So that was how the book club started. And what we do is we promote heavily on social media. When we usually post a book of the month every month. So that's what we do. Then after the book club have had their meeting, we post a short snippet. It could be 30 seconds. It could be one minute, but we just put a snippet where somebody is talking about the book. It could be the book club facilitator. It could be another member of the book club, but this is not a video. This is an audio clip with permission from the book club. So you don't know who is talking. You just get to see them. And when we also let the members have control of the book club, right? So they decide what books they want to read. Everybody throws out the book and then the book club facilitator sends out a poll. And that way they feel a sense of ownership. I'll say you just need to let the members be part of it. That's the biggest thing. You need to let the members be part of it. I need to show that the members are part of it. People want to see before they join, before they take that step. And also I would say most of the things we do are from word of the mouth, which there's no better advertisement than word of mouth. So our book club grew because 
every time we promote our book club on social media, if it's this, especially the snippet of people talking, somebody always asks, Oh, how can I join this book club? How can I join the book club? How can I join the book club? And although we focus mostly on black authors, we also like during indigenous people month in, which is February here, our book club said they wanted to read a book by an indigenous author. And that was okay. We let them have ownership because, you know, we're in a safe space. If they want to read a book by any author, we let them do that, but we just center books from our community. That's fantastic. And getting that buy-in and getting that investment because you're not just telling them what to read or giving them a series of steps. It's really, they're involved in the process of choosing the authors, which I think is just so important. And I know that you started another nonprofit, a foundation. Can you tell us about this nonprofit and what, you know, sort of how it came about, why you decided to found another organization? So I'm Nigerian. I was born and raised in Nigeria and just being privileged enough to be able to go to school and also come to school in Canada and just finish school, just, you know, being able to live my life on my terms. That's something that a lot of women and girls in Nigeria are not able to do. And now that I'm in this position to do something, I want to do something. I feel like I have to do something, which is why I started that. That is actually named after my mom and my dad. My mom is Tosa and my dad is Combra. I named that after them because growing up, our house was never empty. I mean that in the sense that my mom and dad always had somebody living with us that they were all paying, which like I saw my dad being so generous. My dad would go to like university and bring some people back home with him. These are people he did not know, but he was always taking care of them. And that for me always just inspired me how amazing they are just wanting to do more and they still continue to do till this day. So yeah, that's basically why I started it. And that's, we basically focus on helping girls in rural area because Nigeria, girls are not a priority in Nigeria. So my organization focuses on helping girls in rural area go to school and also empowering women with businesses too. So that's what our focus is, just trying to help the next generation because when you educate a woman, you educate a nation, which is actually quite true. And I was served in the U.S. Peace Corps. I was in Senegal for two and a half years and we worked with a lot of organizations working to uplift the voices of girls and getting girls into education. So, so important. No, I love that. I think that's so great. And I see that both of your nonprofits are really active on Instagram and LinkedIn. So actually I want to shift it. I want to ask while you're here, because it sounds like you just are like killing it on social media. What tips do you have for someone starting out? Where do you think they should go? Should they start on Instagram, start on LinkedIn? I would say start on Instagram. Instagram is where your community are. LinkedIn is where your partners as sponsors are. So you want to build your community to be able to show your sponsors and your partners who your community are, who you represent and what you can do, what you're capable. Because it's sad to say, but sponsors need ROI. They need a return and investment. So they need to know, okay, how is this going to help me if I you know, sponsor your community? 
And what are your numbers? They, uh, they will ask for your website traffic. They will ask for your social media. What I'm not follow as, you know, how many people are engaged in your event. So you definitely want to build your community because when you build your community, you don't even have to go out. Sometimes the sponsors will be the ones coming to you and say, we want to be involved. How can we help you? So definitely always build your community. And if you want to follow Black Girl Collective, they're on Instagram um, at Black Girl Collective with an underscore and blackgirlcollective.com. So I think that's really exciting. So any more tips on building a community using digital tools? So do you have an email list? Um, is that something that you're using or are you mostly relying on social media and your sponsors? We actually have an email list and I'll say with an email list, you have to be consistent. Like I send out my newsletter every first of the month unfailingly, even if I don't have anything, if we did not have an event last month, just send out a newsletter because your contacts are going to come to expect that. And when we send out our emails, we always get action steps from our emails, right? Because most of the time people wait for your monthly newsletter to say, okay, what event is coming up? You know, what programs, what's new? Can I see the videos and pictures from the previous event? So always, always, yeah, you need an email list because you also create, you raise more funds from your email list also to a lot when you send out like your end of year giving is coming. You need your email list for end of year giving. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. We actually are on all social media platform because you just have to be on all social media platform, but we, you just also have to see which one works best for you. For us, Instagram works best for us because that's where our community are. And then LinkedIn also works best for us. But for some other nonprofits, Twitter could work best for you. Facebook could work best for you. You know, TikTok could work best for you. You just have to know your community and know your audience and just study over time. I think that point about finding the proper channel for your nonprofit is so important. This is a question I get all the time. Where should I build my community? How can I build my community? Should I be on Instagram? Should I be on TikTok? Should I be using email? Should I be using my website? Should I be live streaming? And I all I say the same thing. You might be best suited for something else. You might be best suited for Twitter. You might be best suited for YouTube. But it sounds like what you did, Ishe, is you found what you liked, which was Instagram, and you really went to where your community was. And then what I also love about that is it was almost testing out the water, seeing if this was going to stick, seeing if it was going to grow, seeing what was going to come of it. And your, you know, the people that really wanted to belong and participate responded to it in an organic way. Yes, like our community grew so organically. We were so surprised at how fast we were able to grow. But we all be like, you know, when I first started, when I created the Instagram page, I just created a small note and I followed like a couple of black women in Vancouver and I just sent them, welcome to our community, recommend some black women you want us to follow. You know, this is a safe space for black women. And yeah, I don't think anybody can really tell you what channel will work best for your nonprofit. That is something you are going to have to figure out yourself by doing some 
experiment, which is what we did. Like last year, we tried to do Twitter. It just did not work for us because our audience were just not responding to us on Twitter. We tried Facebook. It's just, it did not work for us. So what we used to do, we use, we still are on Facebook, but we use Facebook to share our events to like, you know, Facebook groups that some black Facebook groups in Vancouver. That's what we use our Facebook mostly for because it just doesn't work for our audience right now. Um, we tried to talk. It also wasn't really working for us. So we tweet, um, Instagram seemed to be the only one that was working consistently for us. So we stick to that. And LinkedIn too was working consistently because then we were able to like reach partners and we're able to reach sponsors, which is why I say LinkedIn are mostly for your sponsors and your partners and maybe somebody that want to work with you in your organization that's mostly where LinkedIn is for and email you also have to segment your email list that is very 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 important so we do have a newsletter sign up so that's on our website you go and you just sign up but we also have an event so everybody that has attended our events are in a different segment right so they are tagged on the event because if somebody has attended your event, but they've not signed up for your newsletter, you don't want to send them your monthly newsletter, but you do want to send them your newsletter that you're going to send out if you have an event coming up. So we do send out our monthly newsletter on the first of every month. But when we have an event, we also send out a new event newsletter. So let's say we have an event that we want to start announcing on October 15th. When I send out that newsletter on October 15th, I'm only going to send it to people that have attended my event in the past because those are people that have shown interest in my event. So that's very targeted. But when I send out my newsletter November 1st again, I'm going to send it to everybody, but the event is also going to be in that newsletter. But it's not going to be the focus of the newsletter. It's just going to be a recap of the past month and the upcoming month. So that way they get to see, oh, a new event is coming, but it's not a nuisance to them that it got um, a newsletter on the 15th that they did not ask for. Then they got another one on the first that it, you know, asked for, but there are some people that have signed up for the events newsletter and the monthly newsletter. You noticed that your open rates were yeah. better when they were targeted, I, I would bet. Yes, exactly. So we hardly get anybody even unsubscribe from our email list, like almost barely anybody unsubscribe because we only send it to like targeted. Obviously, even though they, they might not have signed up for it, you also want to send out your monthly newsletter to your donors, especially the ones that are doing recurring donations because they do care about where their money is going. So always make sure to add your donors to your monthly newsletter. These are such great tips. My last question before I ask you where people can find you, learn more about you and sign up is what is your maybe your biggest piece of advice or learning for someone listening to this and they are so inspired, they have this passion project, they have this thing they want to do and they're just not sure if it will work. How can they get started? I'll say just start, just start. The fear you have, you have it right now because you've not started. That's literally, once you start, you have no other option than to keep going and you need to make that first step. Once you make the first step, believe you will not be able to stop. Once you see, okay, I've made this step. It has led to this. It has led to this. You just not be able to stop, start. And there, trust me, there are people 
that need what you want to start. There are people waiting for you to start that organization. So just start it. Take that first step and just start. There are people waiting for you. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Ishe. Where can people learn about you? I know blackgirlcollective.com. Where else can people connect online? So you can connect with me on my LinkedIn, just my name, Ishe Ese. I have a website, which is isheese.com. So yeah, if you go to isheese.com, you can find me. Actually, if you Google isheese, you find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah, that's basically my name everywhere. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to put all of those links into the show notes. So if you just click on the show notes in your podcast app, you'll be able to find all of these links and learn more and participate. So thank you so much, Ishe, for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we could make this work out. Thank you so, so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking about, you know, just nonprofits in general. Thank you. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. (music) 